Take our Bibles tonight, please turn to the book of James. We'll continue James chapter 3 tonight. We're entering into a large portion of Scripture, but we're only going to look at the first 12 verses of it tonight. So James chapter 3. After our service tonight, Brother McPherson will come and take some prayer requests, but remind you to pray for the Spongs. And I was talking to Brother Spong today, and he says he's feeling much better. He just has no voice whatsoever. And Eileen is still struggling with this cold and flu. Good to see Ray Kirkwood back. You had quite, quite a bout of it too, didn't you? And it's really going through our school right now. And so we had a couple students away today. Mrs. Fat was homesick. And so remember, remind you to pray for all these. Of course, Mrs. Lormer's in the hospital, and it was in great spirits. I said, uh, how long do you think you'll be in? And she says, why would I want to go home? They bring you breakfast in bed here. So <laughs> she was enjoying that. And then she was cackling about that and having a good time. And uh, I'm going to continue to pray for George's stride. And um, they've, the family's kept that very private and what's going on. But let me, let me just impress upon you how serious it really is. And if you just, just bathe that young lady in prayer. And we try to go up and see her uh, as much as we can. It is, it's a long way to go. But we try to go about once a week and spend some time with her. And, and, uh, and it seems like she has a lot of joy in things. And she's trying to get past some of these things. But... I just really desperately, desperately need your prayer. And, and I, I just, with, I don't want to break any confidences, but as much as I can impress that upon you to pray for this young lady, and, I, and I'm sure that will help. I just had a coffee uh, 5 o'clock tonight with uh, Rob Owen. And Rob has been coming to church for the last five or six weeks now. A uh, young man sits right over here. He's bald. Good looking fella. Bald. And amen, Ray? Amen. And... Uh, I found out that he went to SCS. He's the same age as I am. He's just three, four weeks younger than me. And uh, so we, we got talking, and he went to Bethel when he was four years old. It was the last time he's been in church. It's been 40 years since he's been in church. And uh, he met a, a young lady. He's never been married. He met a young lady out jogging one day. He was jogging, and she was walking her dog, and they got talking. And she goes to Evergreen Heights Church, and she started encouraging him about going to church. And uh, he didn't do it until Paul ran into him at the Toyota dealership. And uh, Paul invited him to church, and he said, well, that's the church I went to when I was four years old. And he said, for some reason, it just felt like I should go there. And I asked him, I said, how come you didn't go to church with your girlfriend? And he said, because he says, I didn't want to go to church for a girl. He says, if I'm, if I'm going to be serious about this, he says, I want to make sure that, I, that I'm doing it for the right reasons. So he says, I've come to Bethel, and he says, boy, I feel comfortable there. He says, that's, he says, Sunday night, and he, he admits to me he's not saved, and so pray for him that he'd be saved. He sa I said, I'm not going to pressure you, and we, we talked about some things, and I shared the gospel a little bit, and he says, I'm kind of scientific, where he says, I've got to see it to believe it, but he says, that's not faith, is it? And he says, but I'm getting there. He says, he says everything you say, I, I believe it. He says, it just seems to ring true. And he says, Sunday night, he said, I don't know what happened. He says, that group got up and sang that song. I said, Song of Grace. He said, yes. He says, I nearly came out of my chair. He says, boy, that got a hold of me. And so pray for him. I think he's pretty close to being saved, and he's enjoying the church. He went out with a bunch of folks after church on Sunday night uh, to Wendy's, and they had a good time. And so just, just befriend him. He needs a friend. Uh, he's just looking for fellowship, but he's, he's a happy guy, and uh, he'd just love to spend some time with you. So pray for him. Rob Owen is his name, and uh, he, went, he, grew up, he went to SES and grew up here in Simcoe, and so lived here almost all of his life. And so be in prayer uh, for him as well. 
James chapter 3, James chapter 3 starts out the same way as James chapter 2. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. How many of you ladies have ever met a perfect man? That's because they can't hold their tongue. And able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature." And is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us tonight, Lord. And as we think of those that are sick and in the hospital, we think of Mary and Georgia. And Father, we pray that you'd intercede there and touch their bodies and heal them. Lord, this young lady that's just so burdened and overwhelmed with things. We pray, Lord, that you'd help her and her parents are struggling. And I pray, Lord, that you'd just be their comfort and be their peace. Father, we think of Rob who needs a Savior, admits that. And uh, Lord, just already, even though he's not saved, seems to be growing somehow. It's just unusual. And more excited about church than a lot of saved people. And I pray, Lord, that you'd just bring him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. And Father, we... Think of these others that are sick, this cold and flu going around, that you would touch them and help each one of them. And Lord, it's affected our school. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help each of those students and Mrs. Fett to get better. Father, bless our time in your word now. I pray that you just help us to focus, Lord. And what an, what an important topic, the tongue. It's a fire. It's, it's a fire of hell, the Bible says. It's full of poison. So, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to learn tonight and guide us. I desperately need your help, and so I pray that you'd fill me with thy spirit. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your handouts tonight, you can take those out if you're in the habit of filling those in. I hope that you will, and at the end of the time that we've spent in James, you'll have an entire kind of a commentary on the book of James and some of the notes that you've put in on your own. We try to leave enough space there for you to mark those things. If you are missing notes and you would like a copy of past notes, please just let me know. We're going to put those on the church blog for those of you that have computers and printers and would like to print those off yourself. But you can have the entire set of notes. You're welcome to them. And the notes that I will give you will have the answers already filled in. So how's that? So if you, if you miss a week or you miss some notes and you would like a copy of those, you're more than welcome to have those. We will put them online, but we'll also make them available here at the church. Tonight we're going to look at the Christian and his behavior. 
And that's the section we're turning on. And the first, the first part of that, of course, is the tongue. And that's what we'll look at tonight, the Christian and his behavior. We looked, I believe, last week was the Christian and his Bible. But tonight's the Christian and his behavior. And so we see, first of all, in James chapter 3, verses 1, sin in the life revealed. Sin in the life revealed. From verse 1 of chapter 3 right through chapter 4 and verse 5, the apostle, or James, the brother of Jesus Christ, is going to identify different sins that are very evident in the church of Jerusalem. Some of the biggest problems in the church that were going on in those days. Now think about that. If James is going to write a letter, a general epistle to the church that he is pastoring, and he's only going to address these two or three sins, they must be of some importance. And the one he'll spend 12 verses on tonight is the tongue. Imagine that. This must have been a Baptist church because he's dealing with the sin of gossip and the sin of the tongue, the sin of anger of the mouth. And so we see, first of all, uh, sin in the mouth. Number one, sin in the mouth. And I want you to notice in in verse 1 of chapter 3, we see, first of all, a word about the teachers. In verse 1, it's just kind of a little bit of an aside here, and we look at a word about the teachers. The Bible says, My brethren, be not many masters. That word master literally means teacher. Jesus Christ used that term about himself many times, and it was talking about being a teacher. People would call him master, and it was the word for teacher or rabbi, uh, which meant teacher. And so, my brethren, be not many teachers. And so we see, first of all, we ought to multiply teachers, number one. Uh, what that means is that we ought to be careful what we are listening to. Think about the, the platform that James was involved in in those days. And you'll remember the Lord Jesus Christ as he came into the synagogue. The Bible says that they handed him the scrolls. Here's Jesus, relatively unknown in Jerusalem. And he opens up the scrolls and he begins to read from the book of Isaiah. And he talks about the prophecy about himself, and he says to them, today these words are fulfilled in your ears. The Apostle Paul, the Bible says, that he would go from city to city, and he would minister in the synagogues. He would be in Ephesus and Galatia and Philippi and different places. It wasn't a place where he normally ministered, but visitors were welcome. If you were a Jew, you could go in and they had an open platform. And so those that were rabbis there would teach, but then if you were a visitor, it was an honor for them to hand you the scrolls. You could open up, read some scripture, and teach a little bit. I believe that's what James is addressing. He says, listen, that might have been fine under the Old Testament tradition. You understand that every uh, Jewish child would memorize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. They would memorize that by the time they were 13 years of age, and they were indoctrinated and grounded in the Word of God. But James says, now we're in the New Testament, and this is relatively new to many of you. And we already see in the book of 1 Corinthians that false doctrine was creeping in and there was Judaizers trying to say, well, it's okay to have grace, but we're going to mix the law with grace. And so because of this false doctrine, James warns us, be not many masters. Don't listen to a lot of teachers. I, I would caution you today and I would liken it to internet ministries. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not against going on to hearing good preaching, I'm careful. I I like to go on and I like to hear Sam Davidson preach. 
And I like to hear preachers that I know and I'm familiar with. I'll tune into Solid Rock Baptist Church where my daughter's in college and, and we'll, we'll catch some of her service. Or maybe on a Sunday night we can turn on Paul Chapel because they're three hours behind us and we can hear a bit of the service there. And uh, I enjoy doing that, but let's be very careful about some of the extremes that we find on the internet because it leads to false doctrine. And some of those ministries are set up for just that purpose, not that they believe they have false doctrine, but because they are so wild and extreme, they have no other place to send out their word. No church lets them preach, and so they turn to the internet. And so let's be very careful and remember that we have a local church. And the local church, the Bible says the church is the pillar and the ground of truth, not the internet. And so let's be true to the word of God by not having many masters. So don't multiply teachers. And then secondly, don't misunderstand teaching. The Bible says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. If we misunderstand that teaching, it's going to lead us down a path. I can't tell you how many... Uh, can, I, can I just go... I don't normally do this. I'm just going to go ahead and name names tonight. Stay away from an internet preacher named Stephen Anderson. That guy is from the pit. He's an independent fundamental Baptist, so-called, uses the King James Bible, and has all kinds of crazy doctrines. And I'm, I'm here to tell you tonight that it has happened in, in a dozen churches that I can tell you of, and it has happened in this church where it has taken a family out of the church because they have bowed down and listened to that false doctrine. Be very careful of it. Be not many masters, for we shall receive the greater condemnation when we misunderstand the word of God and are led astray by the wrong type of teaching. Be very careful. Let me, let me just give you an example of his teaching so you know what I'm talking about. He says that male doctors are an abomination before God. My Savior was the great physician. And Luke was a physician. But he says male doctors are an abomination and so it's that kind of teaching that gets into people's hearts and is a, a danger. So James warns, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And in verse 2, he turns to the tongue. And so we see, first of all, a word about the teachers, but now we see a word about the tongue, letter B. We see in verse 2 a divine standard. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. Well, that's a pretty tough standard to, to reach, isn't it? Not many of us could say we know a perfect man, and not many of us could say we know a perfect woman, for that matter. But the Bible says there's the standard. Perfection. God said to Noah, be thou perfect. He was perfect in all his generations. God said to Moses, be thou perfect. God said to David, be thou perfect before me in all thy ways. That's the standard. And God says to us tonight, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And able also to bridle the whole body. I think it's not always on purpose, but we've all offended somebody. We've all said something we didn't know wouldn't be taken well. Perhaps it was in jest, or perhaps we were being serious and didn't think that it would grate on them in such a way. But we ought to be careful not to offend somebody else and with our tongue. And so that's the divine standard. And when I think about this, I'm reminded that James grew up in the same house as Jesus Christ. And when he thinks about a perfect man, he knows exactly who he's referring to, doesn't he? Jesus played with all the other children up there in Nazareth, but... Never got angry, never got in a fight. 
He never had to go back and apologize for something he said. He never cussed out somebody. He never got angry without a cause. He never lashed out. James never even heard his brother talk back to his mother. Can you, can you imagine growing up in that house? Why can't you be more like Jesus? I mean, that's the standard, though. And in chapter 3 and verse 2, we see it's a divine standard. And then we see, for the rest of the chapter, a devastating statement. And here's a commentary that James gives us about the tongue, and it really is, if we break this down, it is devastating, because as we look at this verse by verse, we all have to kind of say, you know what? I may not be guilty of this all the time, but there's been times where I've been guilty of this. There's been times where I've let my tongue get the best of me and I've said something unkind or I've been untoward or I've dressed somebody down in anger or I've gossiped when I shouldn't have. And we find that we're guilty according to the scripture. And so we see four illustrations tonight. Letter A is the first illustration, the unbridled tongue. The unbridled tongue. Look, if you will, in verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we, may, and we turn about their whole body. Verse 4, Behold also the ships which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. So he gives us an illustration about control, or the unbridled tongue. We all understand verse 3, we're, we're not city slickers living in Simcoe. Probably have all been exposed to a horse at some time. And we understand just that little metal bit is placed into the mouth and the, the reins are placed on either side and the head is just turned so easily and that beast is controlled. And so that's the first illustration we see in letter A is how a beast is controlled. A horse is bigger, stronger, wilder, and yet man can subdue and control him. If a man can control a horse with just a bit in a bridle, can he not also take control of his tongue? The Bible says it's like a wild beast. And the second illustration, letter B, is how a boat is controlled. The story is told about the Bismarck or the sinking of the Bismarck. The Bismarck was a World War II ship of the German fleet, and it was the fastest ship constructed up until that time. The year was 1941, and it would easily take on two and three British battle cruisers all at once because it was faster than any of the ships and even faster than many of their torpedoes. It could maneuver out of the way and, and, and take off into the sea before it could ever be hit. The story is told that two British cruisers, the Prince of Wales and the Hood, attacked it and the Hood was sank and the Prince of Wales was turned away limping. The Hood was the biggest and strongest battleship of the British fleet. And the Prince of Wales was her fastest. But on its way home, it was escorting a larger German battleship. And an airplane flew over and it dropped a torpedo aimed for the larger ship. And it actually missed the larger ship and clipped the rudder of the Bismarck. It didn't even explode, but it just hit it as it went by and exploded out in the sea. But it froze the rudder on an angle. It was damaged beyond repair and they could not any longer turn the ship. And so the ship just went in circles. Even going in circles, 
The captain was confident he could fight off any foe. And his weaponry were second to none. And so airplanes began to fly in from the British uh, naval fleet. And they would bomb torpedo after torpedo. And finally they got it so that ship was crippled. And five other battleships came and finished it off and sank it. But it's all because of the rudder. If they hadn't have disabled that ship and got it stranded in the water going in circles, they may never have been able to catch it. It would have outmaneuvered every other ship and got safely to port. It was only just a few furlongs off of safety. But because of the rudder. See, that little rudder controls so much. If you've ever been canoeing, you just stick your paddle in the water and you know that it'll turn that little boat. Big ships are no different. Just a small rudder or a helm, as the Bible calls it, will control. And so the tongue controls us in the same way. It's just a tiny little member, but we can be defined by our tongue. Look at the application in verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Can you imagine if a rudder could talk? The Bismarck wouldn't be the biggest ship in the world today, but you see some of those cruise ships. When I went out to the pastor's conference in Vancouver, I rented a, a car, and I went through Expedia, and I got down to the rental for Enterprise car rental. I got off the airplane. I went down to the shuttle, and I got on the shuttle, and the guy said, what's your name? And I told him. He says, you're not on my list. I said, but I rented a car. He says, I'm sorry. He says, what's your reservation number? And I got it out, and I gave it to him. He says, oh, that's not here. He says, that's down on the other end of the city, down at Canada Place, down at the ocean. And I said, but I put in for airport enterprise. He says, did you go through Expedia? And I said, yeah. He says, you're about the fifth person today. He says, they got something wrong in their system, and it's sending everybody that's supposed to come here the other side of town. He said, but we don't have any cars left. So he says, you're going to have to get on the Sky Train and go across town. And so I did. But when I got down there, they had this cruise ship. I, I've never seen things so big. Incredible. Some of you have been on cruises. I've never been on a cruise. I, first time I've ever been beside a cruise ship. And I, man, I walked around that thing a little bit and looked at the thing. I was kind of glad I got detoured. Incredible. All turned by a little home. But look what the Bible says in verse 5. Even so, comparing it to this rudder, the tongue is a little member. And look at that next phrase. And boasteth great things. If that rudder of that cruise ship could talk, what would it say? What would it boast? Yeah, I may be small, but this 100 million ton vessel I turn in the ocean. I keep it pointed towards the waves so it doesn't capsize. That little rudder can do that. He's saying, what does your tongue say about you? What does your tongue boast about you? Well, I, I, I don't boast. No, no. What does your tongue say about you? Have you ever heard the phrase, well, he curses like a sailor? Boy, he's a filthy talking individual. Your tongue does say something about you. And we are often judged by what comes out of our mouth before anything else. How do we know somebody's a nice person? Because of how they relate to you in communication. It's what comes out of the heart comes through the mouth. So we see the unbridled tongue. Secondly, in chapter 3 and verse 5, in the second part, we see the unrestrained tongue. The unrestrained tongue. 
Look what it says. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts with great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The picture here is painted of an uncontrolled fire and how big. Do you know how a fire starts? Just with a little spark. But it can soon become a wildfire. Thinking about Fort McMurray, Alberta from last year and how that great city was burnt almost to the ground. I, I just was talking to somebody the other day. I'm not sure where I was. I, I, I don't even remember, but I was somewhere and I was talking to somebody and he says, I just got back from Fort McMurray. I said, what were you doing out there? And he goes, helping rebuild the city. He was a construction guy. He says, we'll, we'll be years getting that city back functioning like it should be. Just started with a spark. Maybe a strike of lightning, maybe somebody littered and threw a cigarette butt out a window or something and it caught fire in the dryness and it swept across that city, but that's what the tongue can do. Just a little spark. John Phillips, the commentator of the Bible, writes about Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler exterminated over 6 million Jews and over 16 million people died worldwide as a result of his conquest in World War II. Here's what he says about Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was an orator, a master at whipping his audience into a frenzy. He could mobilize men by the millions at a word. His rages cowed visiting statesmen and his tirades paralyzed his top generals. And his countrymen, urged on by the lash of his tongue and mesmerized by the power of his words, fought on and on long after the war was lost. So all of Germany was reduced to a rubble. That's the power of the tongue. It's like a fire. Now look at the application in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. Look at four things that we see about the tongue in this one verse. First of all, it's a, a, how decadent it is. The word, de- the word decadent means worldly. That it, is, that it spreads wide and far. We think of a movie star being decadent because they are famous worldwide. The tongue spreads like a fire. It is decadent. The word, the word world here is the word cosmos. The tongue is far-reaching. It is a world of iniquity. It's as dangerous as far-reaching as the universe is. There are no limits to its power because it comes from a heart that is deceitful and wicked in nature. Not only that, look how defiling it is. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. It defileth the whole body. It's defiling. You know, sometimes you'll go somewhere, and I, the other day we were in the elevator at the hospital, and somebody got talking, and they, they that were maybe Christians or pastor and whatever, and, and they get in that elevator, and they start making small talk, and boy, I'm going to tell you, every second word was the F word or a swear word, and I, I just, it just grieves your spirit. You can just feel something inside. It's not right. It just gets on you. It bothers you. And when I, when I hear that, we, we, we're trying to be careful. We don't want to judge people. But when you hear that kind of tongue, it defiles that whole body. That's scriptural. And, and people are known by their tongue. It defileth the whole man. 
Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 15. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. And then we see, thirdly in verse 6, how destructive it is. It's decadent, it's defiling, it's destructive. The Bible says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature. That word course means the very limits. If you think of a course, it is something that is set in place that we follow all the way around to its completion. That's what this word means when it's talking about the course of nature, that it can eat up and burn up nature right to the end of its course. Right to the end of its desired purpose. That's the destructive power of the tongue. You can literally destroy somebody with just a few words. Somebody said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true, according to the word of God. The tongue is destructive. And then we see in the last part of verse 6 how devilish it is. The Bible says, the very last phrase, and it is set on fire of hell. In case you're wondering what kind of fire the Bible's talking about, it's fire from the pits of hell. It's a devilish in nature, the tongue. It was the serpent that used his tongue to defile Adam and Eve. He said, yea, hath God said? And questioned the word of God. It's the tongue that gets us into all the trouble. Fire spreads, there is followed. Things said in gossip or in jest can spread very quickly. Let me give you an illustration. Four men went camping together. They were sitting around one night talking well after dark and waiting to go to bed and decided that they would start confessing things. The one man said, well, I have a pretty secret weakness. It's a thing that I, I struggle with. He says, you see, I steal little things wherever I go. I really am a kleptomaniac. I've never told anybody that before. One of the other fellows says, well... He says, I, I've got to be honest. He says, I have a, a weakness with women and I've had some inappropriate relationships over the years and I'm quite embarrassed by it, but he confessed to it. The third fellow says, well, you fellas don't know this, but I'm a closet alcoholic. He says, I drink secretly whenever I can and nobody would know it and I've never done it publicly or at work, but I'm an alcoholic nonetheless. They looked at the fourth man he says, well, my secret sin is I'm a gossip and I can't wait to get out of here. But let me ask you, not justifying the other men at all, they were all in sin and causing problems for their lives. Who was going to do the damage? These men were confessing, trying to maybe get some help and get some prayer from their friends. The fourth man was going to do a lot of damage by running and telling everybody else about their sins. The tongue is destructive and devilish. Then the third illustration we see is in verse 7 through 10. It's the untamed tongue. The untamed tongue. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless we God, even the fathers, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not so to be. James begins with another illustration in verse 7. He understood that animals could be tamed. 
We went to Israel a few years ago, and we got to ride a camel. That was kind of neat. How many, how many of you can picture Mrs. Bug on a camel? You don't have to. I've got a picture. You ask me, and I'll show it to you. But that, that was fun, wasn't it, Mrs. Bug? We got to ride that camel. They've tamed those things. And probably in the days of James, they used camels to travel with. They likely had some horses. Perhaps he'd heard about Egypt and their pet cats, and maybe they had tamed some dogs. I don't imagine he could foresee marine land and seeing that whales and seals and dolphins would jump upon command, or maybe he didn't know about a circus where a lion would be tamed. But he understood that if wild animals can be tamed, how come we can't tame the tongue? And he makes that point in the verse 8, but the tongue can no man tame. And the application is this, the tongue and its disloyalty. The tongue is primal. How primal it is. Even when we get our tongue under control, the Bible says, the tongue no man can tame. You see, well, I don't have much trauma with my tongue. Listen, you remember a few years ago, I, I can't remember the name of the entertainers, but there were some entertainers in Las Vegas, and they were famous for their lions, or their tigers. You remember that? They, they tamed these tigers, and one night in the middle of the show, that tiger mauled the one guy. Did you, did you ever see that in the news? I mean, it really, his face is all disfigured today, that tiger. And he still says, oh, that tiger didn't mean to do that. That's, that's a wild beast. And you may think you have it tamed, but every once in a while, it's going to act like a tiger. James is warning us, hey, your tongue is a wild beast, and you may think you have it under control, but be careful. When the root of bitterness springs up, you might have a problem. When you lose your temper, you might have a problem. And so be careful about the tongue. It is disloyal, and it is primal. And then the second part of verse 8 says it is poisonous. It's poisonous. Notice the danger when it does lash out. You know, you, you can do very well for a long time, but just the wrong, unkind word in an unguarded moment can really hurt somebody. So we see the tongue and its disloyalty. In verse 9, we see the tongue and its dichotomy. Look what it says in verse 9. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. It has the ability to bless God, but it also has the ability to berate men. This is hypocrisy at its best. All week we go to work and we talk down to people and we undress people with our tongue and then on Sunday we slip into the pew and we sing Amazing Grace. God says that's not how our tongue is supposed to behave. We need to get it under control. Then we see in verse 10 the tongue and its duplicity. And look what he says. Duplicity means to repeat something again. So number one, the repetition. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. He says it again. You know what I've learned? When God says something twice, he wants you to pay attention. Don't be a hypocrite with your tongue. Don't let blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. And then he, we see in the second part, he rebukes them. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Then we see the fourth illustration in verse 11 and 12, the unredeemed tongue. The unredeemed tongue. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine tree or either a vine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh water. Now look at the verse eleven again. This illustration: Do the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter water? You know, I don't always appreciate illustrations. Sometimes you'll hear a preacher give an illustration, and he'll say, "Well, that's just like man," and I'm thinking, "That's nothing like man." 
Uh, how are you going to compare something, an inanimate object, to what God has created? And so I sometimes struggle with illustrations when they're not done properly, but when the Bible gives us an illustration, you can know it's perfect. And the Holy Spirit has inspired him to say, does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter water? He's saying this is like the heart of man. Can we both have sweet and bitter come out of us through our tongue? Think about this. The illustration is perfect in this sense. When you mix something with water, if I were to put just a drop of poison in that water, would you still want to drink it? No, of course not. And I said, well, come on, it's 99% good water. It's just, just avoid the poison. Well, why is that not reasonable? Because solutions mix together. And so if you have fresh water and salt water coming out of the same fountain, what do you really have? You really have salt water, don't you? It might not be the same consistency. It might not be as, dilute or as, uh, as briny as, as regular salt water because it's been watered down. But it's salt water nonetheless. You cannot change that. And he's saying when we have wickedness spewing out of our mouth, that's what you're known by. You know, you may sing praises and you may pray and you may be kind to some people, but when you have that reputation of a wicked mouth, that's what you're known by. It's a solution that mixes. Then we see the application in verse 12. Can the fig tree, my brother, bear olive berries? Either a vine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. James is saying until you get your mouth cleaned up, you can't properly praise God. The character of man is revealed through our tongue. Our hearts come through our lips and through our tongue. We need to get control of it. It is something, I, I'm going to be honest with you, there's lots of times we say the wrong thing, I say the wrong thing, I get upset, I get frustrated and lash out, and usually it's the people that are closest to you. But it's something God says, this is important, I've given you almost a whole chapter in the Bible about it. Get that tongue under control. It is a fire, it is poison, it is a world of iniquity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us with it. Help us to grow in this way, Lord, especially that we would not gossip, we would not be unkind. Instead, we'd use our words for edification, to build up and help others. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Paul, you come.